0: Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Hi, everybody. My name is Mark Pope. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. Good to be, good to be with you guys. Um, just uh, My coffee cup's leaking. Have you ever had that? So I'm distracted because I'm just waiting for it to... Dribble. Could we switch coffees? I'm kidding. No. What? Do I want a napkin? No, I need a towel. I... Okay, no, we're good. We are fine. We will make it. Uh, I do want to, uh, something we didn't touch on yet. In two weeks, we're doing a weekend back-to-school weekend, and so we have some special things planned for students of all ages And I think we have a couple things that will not just be enjoyable, but important. We'll take some time to pray for students that are going back to school. And so I wanted to plant that thought in your mind. Make sure you're here that weekend to help us pray. If you're a student, be here. We'll pray for you. Um, and, uh, And there was something else. Oh, great weekend to invite a friend. Uh, maybe they don't have a lot of church experience, don't have a church home, but come and uh, we promise we'll be nice that weekend, and uh, so something to think about in just a couple weeks. We're going to be in Psalm 51 tonight, Psalm 51, the book of Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible, I think, it's got a hundred, there's like 150 Psalms, it's toward the middle of the Bible, find Psalm 51 to get us uh, headed in the in a direction. Um, have you ever considered um, the different levels of depth or sincerity in an apology? Image on the screen. Someone says, "You know, have you ever considered the different?" Does that make sense? Levels or depths of sincerity, sincerity of an apology. Give you some examples. I was walking through the office this week. One of the staff had a little bowl out with some walnuts in it. And I said, oh, cool walnuts. And they said, oh, take one. I accidentally took two. <laughs> I just kind of reached in there and I came and I went, oh, sorry. I took to. And their response was, so, oh no big deal. But and so I was like, oh sorry, and okay, and I ate them. Went on. I'm not sure actually how sorry I was because on the way back I just took two more and went. Did so it was it was a rather shallow sorry. Have you ever been offended by some the depth of someone's sorry? I can't remember the specifics, all the specifics, but I remember uh, being in a parking lot, and I was sitting in the car, and the person, and a person pulled in next to me and opened their car door uh, significantly into our car. <laughs> and I remember going, w- uh, and I kind of got out, and they said, oh, sorry, and walked on. I, I was a little... So I, I ran over them, and then I... No, I didn't. I didn't do that. You know what? Will you just take this? Uh, Because there's like a flood happening. What are we doing? Will that work? Oh, gosh. You're a genius. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Kathy Smarella. Uh, where am I? Oh, yeah, so I ran him over, and then I felt better about there. Sorry. No, I, I didn't run him. But I remember thinking, well, I could have done better. Have you ever uh, been overwhelmed, personally overwhelmed, I'm going to say overwhelmed, with, with sorrow because of something you did? I remember when I was, uh, it was early in my marriage, I was in my 20s, and it's the first time that I confessed to my wife my struggle with Lust. And I saw in her face the pain of that confession. and I sat on the bed with her and I cried and cried and cried. because I, and I was it was, you know, I would use the term just overwhelmed with sorrow. I was so, so sorry. So the different levels, perhaps, of sorry or sorrow. Just to be clear, I don't think that every sorrowful moment or apology has to be a, a weeper. <laughs> you know, I don't think every time we have to go to the extent of, you know, weeping. But, but uh, to be clear, our ability To be sorry for something is really significant. Especially, we'll look at a few verses in our our relationship with God. Look at this. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter is uh, speaking to a large crowd. He's talking really a significant way. How do you get to heaven? He says, repent. We'll focus on that for a minute. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The word repent, we'll put the definition up on the screen, it means to change one's mind or purpose. Part of the definition is to feel sorry for what a person has done or said. But this idea, so repent includes being sorry, without the sorry, you don't get the forgiveness of your sins or the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see the connection? Being sorry is really a a significant, it's important. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. In Psalm 51, this is a little bit later in the section that we're going to read. We're not going to quite get there. But it's talking about God, and it says of God, the writer David says of God, you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. So and it doesn't just affect our relationship with God. I would argue that it absolutely, our our ability to be authentically sorry affects our human relationships there are probably some of us now in, in a family relationship or in a friendship that that friendship would go to a whole new level if that person would just apologize for that thing that happened right and by the way some of some some of that person some is us we could take our family to a whole new level, our marriage to a whole new level, a friendship to our whole a whole new level. If we were the one who would just engage in, "Will you forgive me?" Are you with me? Anybody sorry you're here tonight? <laughs> this is a really upbeat talk so far. <laughs> Can I give you one more? You know, we're living in a country where it seems on the increase people are like angry, aggressive, shooting each other. It's horrible. This was it last just in the last last week? Was that less just last weekend or two weekends ago? Two shootings. Here now, I don't know that one apology is gonna fix one specific shooting, but with this rise of a, of aggression and anger. You know something that would, instead of escalate, would begin to take it down? If we lived in a world where more people, when they did something foolish or sinful or stupid or hurtful, would say, I'm sorry. I think we could change the direction of our culture. So hold that thought. All those thoughts. We're in a series called Facing Your Giants. We're looking at the spiritual journey of a man named David who's a really significant uh, Bible character. We're learning from his life because he's a great, in many ways, he is a great example to follow. And today we're going to explore what David wrote during a season of being really sorry for a sin or several sins that he committed. And so let me tell you the context again in Psalm 51. David has uh, committed adultery Uh, this this reality has come up a couple other times in our uh, series, um, so uh, I know that you say, oh, we've talked about this. Well, we're actually going to talk about a, a different aspect. We're going to go to a different place. David commits adultery um, with a woman named Bathsheba, who was a neighbor and of his, and instead of repenting, David comes up with several plans to cover up his sin, instead of changing, he eventually uh, kills Bathsheba's, has Bathsheba's husband killed to cover it all up and brings Bathsheba then into the palace. David's a king and takes her as his wife. By the way, the last 34 seconds of the things I've described, that's all really bad. Like, that's bad. You know the the adultery, the cover up. They tried to, and then the old would bring her in and kill. It's this bad stuff, and uh, but David feels like I think he's getting away with it. Well, God sends a prophet Nathan to basically let David know God has seen it all, my friend. He's been he's aware, and there are going to be consequences for this. And here's kind of how it plays out in 2 Samuel 12. This is what the prophet said. This is what the Lord says, David. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. What you did in secret, I'm sorry, you did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And then here it is. In verse 13, David said to to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And what we're going to do now is skip to Psalm 51 during this season of revelation, and he wrote this to the Father. You ready? He says, I have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Last verse for us tonight. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The title of the talk is Healthy Brokenness. We're looking at David's repentance process. And there's a lot in this psalm. I would encourage you during your Bible time this week, read this entire psalm. And before you do, just ask God, God, what it, show me things about what it is going on in David's life that, that can help us. But I want to focus on two things. The, um, so let me uh, pray. By, by the way, while we pray, if you haven't already, you might pause and consider an area of your life or something you've done that you should be sorry for. Anybody need any help thinking of one? just pause and think something you it could be something that you have done in the past to a person maybe you're in the midst of it maybe maybe it's a primarily it's a sin against God pause because wouldn't it be great if we had an authentic healthy view of that um and if some of you can't think of anything bad you've ever done we you need to leave the church because we don't understand you no just give it a week because you'll do something this next week and and then it'll apply then so Pay attention anyway, all right? So let's pause and pray. Uh, God, I'm uh, honored, I think, to try to uh, deal with this topic because I have become more and more aware how important this is. So will you talk to us, Holy Spirit, be our teacher, that we might be able to navigate our sin and mistakes better for the sake of human relationships and for the sake of our relationship with you, those of us that have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I have two characteristics of godly sorrow I think we can learn from David. The first one is this. Godly sorrow emphasizes mercy. Can everybody say mercy? Mercy. We're going to talk about mercy for a little bit. By the way, first thing out of David's mouth, right, he becomes aware of his sin and he's like, this is a problem and now there's going to be consequences. I'm not going to get, and he's, first thing, have mercy. It's the first really topic that comes out of his mouth in his sadness. There are a few, uh, most of of the Bible translations translate it mercy. A few say, be gracious to me, uh, O God. There's one that says, have pity on me. The word for mercy in the original language is this word, and it means mercy, means to show favor, be gracious. But there is, as I as I looked at it, um, there's almost a posture to the word. Uh, it means to beg, implore the compassion of. There is this plead. So can you go with me on that? There's like a humble posture to this, and where I want to head for a moment is. well we can do this fill in the blank nah don't do it yet did you already put it up don't do it with the word there is because of the posture of the word is what what I'm saying is there is no indication that David did any justifying uh, for his sin does that make sense he's not bringing anything to the table he is not um, he's not Giving any excuses for why he did what he did. There is no record of David saying anything like, But God, you know, Bathsheba, she's really, really, really pretty. That's just not there. There's no record of him talking about that. Or, Lord, you know, if you don't know the context, it was late at night and David was walking around. But you know, Lord, I'd had a really, really tough day and I was really tired. And so that was why. Um, he doesn't ever head in the direction of God. Let me explain. The reason I did this was because th- the reason that I thought it was a good idea to kill have Uriah, her husband, killed was because if we could just kind of wash this away, I was afraid that this this affair would be a distraction to all the really good things that was that were going on in the kingdom. And so now, God, do you see? Do you see why? You know, if you ever tried to do the head nod with God, you know, God, you're on my side, right? You see, here's another one. He, he there's no indication of him saying, "But God, it has to count." That all the just think of all the the, the hundreds or thousands of days I was king and I didn't do this before. I never did, I didn't do it, I didn't do it last month and I didn't do it the month before. And you know, I've been up on my palace roof, I'm well aware of multiple beautiful women out there, but I didn't remember the one time when I was tempted, but I didn't do it. He doesn't go any, he doesn't go there. In his interactions with God. So here's the idea. Now, we can fill in the blank. David didn't approach God with anything but emptiness. There is a powerful spiritual principle here in our relationship with God. If you want to trigger the mercy of God, receive the mercy of God, it requires humility. Humility. We're going to now read a uh, a story, a parable that Jesus shared. And just my opinion, could be wrong. I think it's got to be one of the most important parables. By the way, they're all important. But this is my favorite one today. (laughs) Did you catch that? No, this is really important. Here's what Jesus said. says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, that represents someone who's doing a lot of things right. It's a really religious person. One's a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector, which represents bad person. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, okay? Okay? That's one prayer. Verse 13 goes on. Jesus is telling the story. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have, here's our word, mercy on me, a sinner. See the difference in the prayer? Verse 14, this is what the Lord says, I tell you that this man, the second guy, with the more simple, with the simple prayer about mercy, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. That's an important parable. If you want to write a great prayer out to the side of, I don't have a this for a fill-in-the-blank, but Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. You should write, have mercy get that tattooed on your forehead right here somewhere. I don't care. Don't do that because I said so. I don't know. Pastor said to get a tattoo. I just don't care. I want to give you an assignment of another as we explore this approaching God, asking for mercy, humility. Uh, if you write down Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6. There's a guy named Isaiah. <laughs> and it's one of those rare times where he, a man, individual, is going to be in the presence of God, get a really clear picture of what it's like to be in the presence of God. And um, he's in, the, in, uh, in heaven, angelic beings. They're singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. It's this moment. And this is a prophet of God, Isaiah. This is his response to the presence of God. Verse five, he says, Woe to me, I am ruined. He doesn't bring God his list of things that he's, well, I'm so glad to be here, God. Have you been taking note of all the, he's a prophet. Have you been taking note of all the good things I've done? He just says, woe to me, I am in trouble. And then he says, for I am a man of unclean lips. First time I ever thought about this. His lips are probably the best part of his whole being. He's a prophet of God. He is a mouthpiece of God. This is the part of his body that's probably been used by God more than anything else. And yet he says, I, he, he, even there is like, yeah, these are a mess, too. This is "I'm a mess." Do you want to read the rest of that assignment? It's interesting after he makes this confession, and you know, I'm a mess. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live with people that are, we're a mess. God responds to his confession, brings a coal. You have to read it. God brings a coal, touches his mouth, and then launches him into an assignment. But the humility happens first, and then after, God says, I got some, i just paraphrase, I got some things to do. Who will I send? Then, then Isaiah says, send me. I'll go. So all this brings a, a question for me, for us to consider, fill in the blank, something to consider. How am I approaching God with my sin? Think of that sin stuff. How am I approaching God with my sin? Am I justifying? Am I bringing excuses? Here's a question. Am I approaching him at all? And then the other question for assessment is, am I approaching others with humility? This is the, the, the horizontal part, the relationships between you and I and family and work. Am I approaching others with humility? I'm going to give you some language that I've been using for some years now that has helped me uh, uh, in this uh, A couple, it's been in the last two weeks. Got a phone call from somebody, and I was supposed to return their call, didn't return their call in a timely fashion. And so when I called them, I said, because by the way, I was sorry, because I hadn't done what I should have done in that relationship, but I I said, hey, uh, um, Kent, I am sorry I didn't get back with you. I should have gotten back with you and here's what here's a little language that i use that helps and i said and i don't have i don't have an excuse i've been adding that to some of my language for years because it keeps me cuz i didn't have an excuse cuz you know what i used to would have done i would have there were probably some reasons that i didn't get it but instead of saying can't hey can i just tell you about my day i just keep in there I, I'm so sorry. I don't have a good excuse. I don't have an excuse. Will you, and oftentimes, will you forgive me? I should have called you yesterday. But you know what that does in relation? It, it tends to keep the relationship clean rather than doing the whole excuse thing. I remember, uh, one of my kids, uh, a while back, a couple years ago, I think it was, uh, had a uh, as my kids are adulting, <laughs> and they're 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 doing pretty well. Um, I remember a conversation with one of my kids, and uh, they had made a financial mistake. I don't think it, I'm not sure it was a sin, but made anybody ever made a financial mistake? Yeah. yeah uh, I just I just so appreciated um, the conversation. At one point, they said, "Dad." We were driving in the car. They said, "Dad, I messed up." And you know what it did to my heart? Just the, the the approach. I was like, "What can what can I do to help?" It would have been a really different conversation had they leaned in with excuses and and, and all right. Do you know what I mean? Just was so 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 uh, you know proud of their their heart and willingness. Anyway. So, godly sorrow emphasizes mercy. Can I add one more before we go on to the second one? Just a note on this. You cannot rush humility, folks. Um, And if you look back to the text where David says, have mercy on me. Put that text up there again. Have mercy on me. Here's five verses on have mercy on me, uh, have compassion. He's talking about his transgressions. He doesn't sum it up in one verse I think he takes a little time to dwell on his sin. It's intriguing to me in verse 5 where he even goes with, surely I was sinful at birth. He's not even talking now about the sin that's right there present. He's just admitting, I was sinful at birth. And he may even be stretching a little bit. He says, I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Really? Really? All the way in the, yeah, I was bad, God. I've been bad my whole life. At conception, I was bad. And I'm just saying every once in a while, don't quickly pass by how bad you are. Let, especially in human relationships, oh, don't do this. I ask forgiveness, forgive me now. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm doing it. Hey, the Bible says you got to forgive me because I asked for forgiveness. It's been three minutes. Can't you get over it? Boy, you got a spiritual problem. You're supposed to forgive. Have you met that person? Are you that person? Quit that. Not helping, not helping your relationships to rush other people through the process. Let them forgive you. Forgive me. No, don't. Yeah, you got their arm behind. Forgive me. Okay, I forgive you. Emphasize mercy. Second thing, godly sorrow asks for change, asks for change. This is the idea that David doesn't dwell there forever. He ends up in his relationship with God and his conversation, in his writing to God. He says, God, will you change me? Verse 7, he says, cleanse me and I'll be clean. Wash me is included in there. I want to bounce to verse 10 toward the end of what's on the screen. He says, create in me. He's transitioning create in me, he's asking God to do something, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Fix me in simple terms. God, by the way, will you fix me? And I want to emphasize part of what this prayer includes. I notice that he is praying about his heart, he says, created me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Here you can write this down and we'll explore it just a little bit. When David sought out change, he prayed about his, and, and if you would write spirit slash heart, just include that in there. Or if you'd like, to, he prayed about his inner life. He prayed about his inner life. Uh, Let me plug a verse in here. Matthew 15, 19 says, Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft. Out of the heart. So I want to give you an idea here as we get ready to close that has, I think, can affect our lives. We'll start with this. What's your favorite sin? Don't say it out loud. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I shouldn't say favorite sin, but what's, the, what's your besetting sin? What's the sin? No, we'll say it's your favorite. Now, you might say, oh, no, I don't have a favorite sin. Well, what's the thing that you're going to be tempted to do tomorrow? Go ahead. What's yours? No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> If you could stand up. Can we get the microphone up here? Uh, because I'm going to just call on a few people. I want you to come up here. And uh, if you don't tell us, then we know. And we'll know. T- but think of it, okay? Engage with me. What's your favorite sin? What's the thing that keeps tripping you up? You get drunk too much? You just get drunk. It's just what you do. Some of you right now are like, oh, he's going there. <laughs> Is this sexual sin? Things you're looking at. Pete, you're having sex with someone who's not your spouse? Do you get angry? And you hurt people, and you and it's not like you did one like this is it's just kind of your mo. You this is your thing. One of my friends, when I was working through the notes and talking to them, he said the first thing that came to his mind was laziness, his his thing, his favorite thing, because he just doesn't. He instead of engaging and doing, he just wants to do nothing. Pride. You you think you're better than your neighbor, that other person. I'm, I'm better than them. Just, I, I, thought, I was thinking of my stuff, and I thought of coveting. I thought of lust. I thought of contentment. I think, how many times am I not content with the thing I have, and I'm always looking for the other thing? By the way, coveting, it's a sin. So I was just thinking of my junk. I thought about lust, my, just still my struggle with lust. Now, let me give you an idea. I hope you all have a thing. Did I, did I touch on everyone's, did, does anybody feel left out? <laughs> you know, because we didn't talk about, oh, greed. I didn't throw that out there. You're living your life for money. You hurt people to pad your bank account. That's a sin, my friends. They, okay, now is everybody included? Here's an idea that might affect the transformation of our life. Let me give you an average prayer for a person who's struggling with lust. No, it's a good prayer. This is a good prayer. A good prayer, oh, God, it's summertime. Help me not look at the girl in the bikini at the beach. That's not a bad prayer. You know, because tomorrow you're going to go to the beach. God, help me not look at the girl with the bikini. Help me, Lord, help me. That's a good prayer. But can I give you a potentially better prayer to explore? And the prayer is something like this. God, will you give me a heart that sees people like you see people? Do you see the difference? One is just working on the outside activity. And the other gives God permission to transform the inside of us. Which then will affect the outward stuff. Are you with me? Fin- finances, greed. Explore with God in your soul. Say, God, what is it in my heart? Why do I think why do I think money is the answer? To the stuff. What is it in my What's wrong in my soul? So in anger, don't just say, don't just pray, God, give me control of my emotions, but say, oh, God, change my insides so that I love people more than I get frustrated that my agenda is not moving forward or something like that. Do you get it? Pray, invite God, Drinking, you you know, you're, 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 you're eager to get drinking or smoke pot or whatever your deal is. How about this? Oh, God, work on my soul that I would want to be saturated with your presence more than be stimulated for a couple hours with some chemical. That's a good prayer. Can you imagine? We began to the transformation. Well, I would just I would submit to you. I don't I don't do this great, but some of these things that I've talked about is part of the 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 life change that I've I I still got a lot of life change to go. Some of this stuff, I believe, gave traction in my life over the last 30 years to be a different person than I was when Jesus first had mercy on me. So here's the final question When was the last time I brought Jesus my heart? When was the last time I brought Jesus my heart? godly sorrow it emphasizes our need for mercy and it asks for change and if i can add to it and that change happens as a result of us letting god get on the inside so why don't you stand with me and we'll move into a time of prayer thanks for listening to the vineyard church weekly message podcast we pray that you were impacted by this message